the Bible readings this morning. Uh, the first one is from Genesis 1, 1 to 5, and the second is the New Testament, uh, John 3, 19 to 21. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. The darkness was over the surface of the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning, the first day. And then from John, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what he has done and what has God done through him. It's always difficult to know what to preach on a Sunday after Christmas Day. It's not easy at all. I can see my minister nodding, 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 but it's, it's true. And um, I sort of was praying and meditating on what I should preach on, and um, the theme for this morning's message is light in the midst of darkness. And I want you to picture initially the uh, scene where Jesus was born in that stable and there was all excitement and everybody was happy to see him born. I want you to imagine the morning after the day before. Uh, all of us in life go through high times in our lives when things are going great and things are really up and all of a sudden something goes boom. It's as though everything goes back to, I'll put it in inverted commas, normal. And uh, we wonder at this high point in our life, uh, what was it all about And we seem to be now back to a normal routine of life? Well, I want you to imagine... Uh, Mary and Joseph back in that uh, stable and uh, thinking the morning after the night before, uh, what we've not told in scripture what it was like for them, but we can try and imagine that, hello, we're going back to a normal routine sort of life. What's this all about? You know, all the questions about what's in front of us. Uh, for any of us here who are parents and have, have had little children, babies born, uh, if you're like me and perhaps if you're like my wife anyway, uh, when a baby is born into your family, into your life, uh, you start to think, what's the future for this child? Where's it going to go? What's going to happen? Sometimes uh, for children and children born, children are born uh, in a very normal and natural way. They're very healthy. In some very sad cases, uh, it, it happens where children are not normal, as it were, as though they don't have all the physical attributes that a child should have or all the mental attributes that a child should have. So... It's not always easy uh, bringing up children. Um, for anyone who's in families where you've got children who've got either physical or mental problems, you can know what an ongoing issue it is for people. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the things that uh, all of us needs to be aware of. We need to be helping those that are less blessed than ourselves with physical or mental attributes. So that's just a few preliminary thoughts before we get into the message. 
We live at a very interesting time in world history. We live during a time of world pandemic, the last of which occurred approximately 100 years ago at the end of World War I. We live at a time when there appear to be, at least by my observation, an increasing number of natural and man-made disasters occurring in various countries around the world. We live at a time where the economies of various nations are being dislocated, such that economies are contracting and currencies devalued. A lot of you might not, not know that currencies devalued thing, but if you follow stuff, current affairs on the internet, you'll see a lot of countries around the world economically are starting to get in a lot of trouble too at the moment. We live at a time when there are wars and rumours of wars, especially in places like the Middle East and the Ukraine. And uh, as you know, Beth's uh, nephew, Andrew, lives in the Ukraine and we are continually in prayer for them at the moment because of what's happening on the border with Russia at the moment. So I would ask you as a congregation if you could cont continue to keep, especially the Ukraine, and Andrew and his uh, YWAM team there over in the Ukraine in your prayers at this time. How are we as Christians to respond to all this gloom and doom? How do we put our hands over our eyes and over our ears and pretend it's not going on? Are we to absorb ourselves in our own little worlds of me and mine and everything that's going on here at the church and marketplace and let the rest of the world go to, as it were, hell on a handcart? What do we do? How do we respond to these big picture items? None of us can solve the world's problems but we can, with God's help as Christians, assist in dispelling darkness by shining the light of the gospel into those dark problem areas where God has placed us individually and as his people collectively here at CMP. We have a lot of problems in our society around about us and sometimes we get confronted by those problems in our immediate area around here, sometimes we don't. And maybe we as a church should be confronted a bit more by them and reach out with the goodness and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, that message, into those problem situations. None of us can solve all the world's problems, but we can, as Christians, assist in dispelling darkness by shining the light of the gospel into those dark problem areas where God has placed us, as I say, individually, and here is his people collectively at CMP. In the words of Matthew 5, verse 14, chapter 5, verse 14, you, I, we are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We can relate this to the story of an English essayist and author, John Ruskin, who when he was a little boy living before the time of electric lighting, was sitting at his window watching a lamplighter progressively working his way up the street lighting the gas lamps uh, as he went up the street. Ruskin, poking his finger at the window pane, suddenly exclaimed, look, he's punching holes in the darkness. Look, he's punching holes in the darkness. This figurative, figuratively explains one of the vital roles we have as Christians. We are about punching the holes of Jesus' light into this dark world around about us. We are about punching the holes of Jesus' light into the dark world around about us. And let us never forget that we're, 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 that's one of the vital roles of us, of we people, as his people, as a church. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different to all of you this morning, so wait for it. I'm going to do a little experiment. I'm going to get you to get some very small sense of living in darkness and silence 
I want to encourage you all in a minute just to close your eyes and remain in complete silence for one minute. And as you do this, I would like you to imagine how this would feel if you had to do this in self-isolation forever. Uh, I'm not insisting on this, but anyway, do that for the moment. We'll, we'll close our eyes and just for, I'll time you for one minute, complete silence and see how you go so that uh, get a sense of living in darkness and silence, what it might be like. So let's just close our eyes for one minute now and be in complete silence for one minute. Okay, you can all open your eyes now. Now, I'm not going to insist on this, but I'm, <coughs> I'm going to ask a question. Is there anyone prepared to give their response to that little exercise and to say what they were thinking about during that one minute if you're going? Is anyone prepared to do that? Family, Family right? Please? How we're all connected, right? Sorry? Right, you're thinking about that, amen, right? Thank you, pardon? Lots of thoughts, very busy. It's, you see how, what, what you can get out of this, and I'm guilty of this too, but when you try to have a quiet time and you, you're having a time with God, your mind goes, Pew! well, mine does anyway. I don't know about how it might be different, but, you know, I often think of the, about these people who are mystics or contemplatives in the early church. They're out there in the desert and they think they're one of the things, Lord, I can't, I can't remain contemplative for one minute. I don't know how they did it. And uh, maybe, maybe each of us, it might be a good, a good little exercise, once, maybe once a week, I don't know, what, once a day, I don't know whatever, but to just have some real quiet time and just say, okay, Lord, I'm over to you. What, what thoughts do you want me to have? And have some contemplative time. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here, so I'm not trying to tell you to do it because I'm just as guilty as anybody. But I wonder if we did that, what, how God would start to speak to us. Anyway, that's just a little exercise, a little thought. Let's get back to the scriptures. What I'm going to do this morning is to say, <coughs> you heard the scripture out of Revelation, uh, sorry, out of Genesis, and then the second uh, reading out of John chapter 3. And what I'm going to very briefly do this morning is to go through that story in John chapter 3 where Jesus meets and teaches Nicodemus uh, and uh, has a few words to say to him. 
and we're going to centre it in upon ultimately the thought about uh, light and darkness uh, because that's the end of his little talk with Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we knew, know you're a teacher who has come from God because no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. What do we know about Nicodemus? He was obviously a man with religious and earthly authority. So a man of, uh, that counted in the culture and meant something to people in the culture. It says here he came to Jesus at night. Why did he pick night time to come to Jesus? Who'd like to think on that one? Why did he pick night time? Maybe he was a little bit afraid uh, it, what others would say if they saw him speaking to this man, Jesus. And sometimes it's like that for us. Um, we're afraid, as it were, to let people know that we're Christians. We almost sort of, okay, you come to my house at night time and I'll tell you a few things about it, but to actually go out in the street and share faith with people in an open way, uh, we sometimes find extremely difficult. But, uh, and this is, man, Nicodemus obviously was in that position where he didn't want others to see that he was even talking with this man, Jesus. He was afraid of what others would say if they saw him speaking with this man, Jesus. Obviously, he recognised Jesus as a teacher come from God because of his miraculous signs. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. And so, obviously, he realised that God was at work in Jesus, but he was very wary about what Jesus was talking and what Jesus was doing. But then Jesus begins to give him a lesson not on these external signs themselves, but on the ability to see beyond these external signs to actually see the kingdom of God. But how? By being born again. It's interesting when you think about uh, external signs. I mean, over my long Christian life, um, I've seen all sorts of forms of Christianity, from one man to the other. <laughs> when you get old in the faith, you see it all. And... Uh, you can see times uh, in, say, countries like Africa or tribal-type cultures where God uh, does give external signs where, for whatever reason, he's wanting to reach into a culture or into a society where he would uh, have people pray for someone to be healed and the person would be healed. Now, uh, I believe God can do that. I can believe he can do it in Western society to do today too. Why doesn't it happen all the time? You ask God, don't ask me. God knows the answer to that one. If I had my way, every person that I saw sick, I would go and pray for them and see them hell. I'm not Jesus, I'm not God. But my prayer would be, it's like when we prayed for Carol this morning, everyone in this room wants to see Carol hurled and back in this congregation. It's in God's hands, but we're going to keep praying for that to happen. Um, we live in an imperfect world and it's not always easy, uh, but we're not going to give up praying, that's for sure. No way, Jose. Um, <coughs> but as Jesus said, but um, to actually see the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. Nicodemus's uh, querulous, almost uh, garrulous response indicates that uh, he is thinking in logical terms, human terms, but not in kingdom of God terms. And Jesus then makes some very, very pithy responses. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. 
unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Thus Jesus is endeavouring to teach Nicodemus that just as there is natural birth and a human spirit is created when a mother's waters break upon the birth of a child, so also there needs to be spiritual birth by the Holy Spirit so that the human spirit is born again. Um, teaching and preaching on stuff like this is probably bread and butter to those of us who are Christians. Uh, if you're in this congregation or if you're listening elsewhere and you hear that word, it seems a very strange word to you about being born again. I've had a few people come to me over the years saying they cannot remember a time when they were not a Christian. Whilst not doubting the sincerity of their belief, I would have to say that they would have extreme difficulty relating to this passage of scripture where the need for spiritual birth is imperative. In other words, in Jesus' words, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again and no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. And again, you must be born again. Yeah, hard, hard words for people to understand and, uh, you know, it's only when God gives you that revelation when you're prepared to bow before the cross and con confess your sins and ask Christ to come into your life, ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit that the reality of, of these scriptures come to you. It'd be interesting, Renee the other day uh, heard, uh, she said there was a number of young kids came to Christ the other day in the ministry she's involved with. Hallelujah. Amen. That's, that excites me. But there is a point in everyone's life where they have to make a decision. Um, you may have wrestled with it and not made the decision yet to believe that Christ died for your sins and that you could be born again. Uh, you may have made it years ago and it's, oh, it's old hat to you, don't want to hear it again. Well, it's got to be a message that is new every time, both to us and, and encourages us to go out and share the truth of that, the reality of that born-again experience with people around about us. Not always easy, but, um, you know, my prayer as, as much as I can is, Lord, lead me to people who are open to hear the good news of the gospel. But at some point, we must all be born again. In verse 8, and I'll read this through to you, Jesus speaks some, what I would say, very enigmatic or hard to understand words. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. <coughs> Nicodemus' response in verse 9, How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus' response indicates that, <coughs> pardon me, that he was having difficulty understanding. And Jesus' response is very telling. <coughs> Excuse me for one second. Sorry. <coughs> you are Israel's teachers, said Jesus. 
and you do not understand these things, I tell you the truth. <coughs> we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. <coughs> How are we going to get you to believe when we speak of heavenly things? Jesus then in verses <coughs> 13 through to 15 speaks about the Son of Man with reference to himself. The expression Son of Man is used usually by him. No, let <coughs> but <coughs> dear, can you just pray for me please? <coughs> <coughs> Well, I love Heavenly Father. I want to lift up our brother Richard too. We pray that you will uh, enable him to get this word out, Father. You put this word in him, Father. We pray that you will enable him to communicate it to us this morning, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. This happened to me on the pulpit ever. Where will you get up to? I was lost in transit here. Jesus' response regarding the wind blowing wherever it pleases is this. Basically, he says, <coughs> We've told you that what we know and tell you what we've seen happen here on earth, but still you won't believe. How are we going to get you to believe when we speak of heavenly things? Then in verses 13 through to 15, <coughs> Jesus speaks about the Son of Man. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Son of man is, is with reference to himself. The expression son of man is used by him no less than 78 times in the Bible. I couldn't believe that when I uh, picked up to do a reference to this scripture but it's, it's, it's mentioned 78 times. The comparison between the son of man and Moses lifting up the snake in the desert is specifically directed towards the Jewish Pharisee Nicodemus and the story of a snake being lifted up on a crossbar of a cross to bring health and healing. So he was relating that part of the story directly to uh, Nicodemus's understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. In verses 16 through to 18 we have what is <coughs> probably one of the best known passages of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one. Well <coughs> <coughs> oh, dear me. And only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
With no written record here of Nicodemus's response, we can perhaps picture him as speechless, astonished, confused, enraged, or perhaps all of the above. These are the sort of reactions that we still perceive in many people today when they are challenged with the uh, life-giving message of the gospel. You, I, we may all have friends or relatives who give us a wide berth because of our commitment to Jesus and his way of living, but we are to stand firm. Uh, it's not always an easy walk being a Christian. Do you find it easy? I don't. Um, I find people don't want to know about it, or if they see you coming, they round the other way. Uh, they know you're a committed Christian. Uh, not that you hate them, you want to see, love them and see them come to the kingdom, but they are confronted by you when they know you're a Christian and you, you are with them. You, we all find this, I find it, I don't know whether you do, but uh, I certainly do. As I say, there's all sorts of reactions that we receive, perceive in many people when they're challenged by the life-giving message of the gospel. We all have friends and relatives who give us a wide berth because of our commitment. Remember Jesus' words in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not leave stands condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. They're pretty confronting words. I remember just recently I was reading um, a chap, and I won't say who, that's a very well-known Christian um, commentator, evangelist, whatever, and... Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you this much, he was from a Jewish background and he was originally, originally Jewish, well, still is Jewish, but, but he's found the Messiah, he's found Christ, and his father has just recently died. And he had to, well, not had to, he went to his father's funeral, who's from a Jewish background, and uh, none of the rest of his family are Christians. Now, you can imagine what it was like for him going into that situation as a Christian uh, uh, with his father's funeral. And, uh, the way he writes afterwards, you can almost hear the anguish in his heart that the other members of his family haven't come to faith. And sometimes it's like that for us, that in families, those of us that by God's grace I'm, have come to faith, thank heavens I married my wife, I might never be burned a Christian unless I've married her, who knows. But God's got unique ways of reaching each one of us, but uh, sometimes it's, it's pretty hard when we've got different parts of our family, and they're probably members in your family that you are still praying for. I know I've got members in mine that I'm still praying for, but God, God, don't give up. Please do not give up. Then in verse 19, this is the verdict. Light <coughs> has come into the world, but men love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. As I said earlier in this message, none of us can solve all the world's problems, but we can, with God's help as Christians, assist in dispelling darkness by shining the light of the gospel into those dark problem areas where God has placed us individually and collectively. He has his people at CMP. I know we are about planning at the moment on where we go in the year ahead with the congregation and uh, never easy to do that because I tell you what, I bet all of you don't believe what we should be doing in the church is what I believe we should be doing in the church. Each one of us has our own little 
ideas or pictures on the way that this church should operate. I'd hate to be a minister trying to pull all that together, so I'll be praying for you, Peter. But it's, it's true, and one of the things that has been on my heart, and we had umpty um teaching on it years ago, and I haven't heard it recently in the church, but that is on the giftings that each one of us has given. Each one of us is uniquely given a gift by God to build up the church. And what we've got to do is to see the gift that's in each person and encourage the person in that gift, but that it's part of a whole, I'll call it body ministry, that every one of those gifts that every one of us has been given is being used in a unique way. Now, we've got school teachers here. I can see, I can see a few school teachers in the congregation. I'd, I'd never be a school teacher. I'd be a hopeless school teacher. But you, you guys have got a, got a tough road to hoe in, in some of your positions, and I just pray that God will use you mildly in the positions you're in. I see ex-school teachers here. They don't have to worry about it anymore, do you? <laughs> but everybody is placed uniquely within our congregation with, in different settings. Now, some of you are placed in different parts of your family, in different places, but it's an opportunity to share the light of the gospel in the midst of darkness wherever you are and pray that God will continue to use you to do, to do that. As I said earlier in this message, none of us can solve all the world's problems, but we can, with God's help as Christians, assist in dispelling darkness by shining the light of the gospel into those dark problem areas where God has placed us individually and collectively as his people here at CMP. My prayer for the next, for myself and for all of us here at CMP, is that we would be faithful to our calling to be light in the midst of a very dark world, that people will plainly see that what each of us has done has been done through God. My prayer is that um, 2022 will be for us here at CMP a year of ingathering and worship where we seek to see Jesus save the lost and the lonely so that the light of his gospel might shine through us. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we ask that we would set aside our own agendas <coughs> in the year ahead, that we would seek first your kingdom and in, in your righteousness <coughs> in all we say and do and be, <coughs> and that the light of your gospel and of your word would go forth to reach many people <coughs> with the good news of Jesus. Amen. <coughs>